Hey, welcome back to the As You Are podcast. We're here with another worship night talk, and I'm super excited to share this one because it's my Bible study co-leader, Audrey Gabrielson, who shared at South Carolina this year, and she talked about the prodigal son, but I think she's going to hit it from an angle that you've never heard before, so settle in. Well, hi, everybody. Um, Like Anna said, I'm Audrey, and I'm just so happy and honored to be here tonight. Um, So a little bit about me, I live in Athens, Georgia with my husband Andrew, who I've been married to for six years, and we have a daughter named Libby who just turned one, and I think there are some pictures up here. Yep, we got a whole collage. So that's Libby up there on the left um, and the right with me, and the the middle. They're all Libby. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so... That's my little family. Um, So I help lead the UGA Senior Girls Bible Study um, with Emily and Greer, if you know them. And Anna and Emily are two of my really good friends, and they've been warming me up to the idea of speaking at a worship night for a while. And once I got past the idea of public speaking, it was not that hard of a sell because you know what? I absolutely love a girls' night, and I especially treasured them in college. So I actually lived with six other girls my junior and senior years in college, and every Sunday night, we would get together in our living room, and we would spend an hour just catching up, laughing together, sharing prayer requests just to make sure that we knew what was going on in each other's lives. And it was just crucial for our friendships. And I really do think that girl time is just good for the soul. So that said, I'm just so glad that you decided to be here tonight. And I hope tonight is good for your soul too, because it's already been good for mine. So um, like I said, I have a one-year-old daughter, Libby, who is just my little bestie. We just hang out all day together. And if I wasn't here with you guys tonight, I would have been doing her little bedtime routine, which is actually one of my favorite parts of the day. And I also would definitely be in sweatpants right now, but this is a nice way to change it up. Um, But our little nighttime routine is, like I said, one of the best parts of my day. So I give her a bath, get her all cozy in her pajamas, and then we sit in the chair in her room, and once we sit down, she immediately is looking to her bookshelf. Like, she just loves books right now. If you even think about skipping it, she's going to point at her bookshelf and whimper. So it's like, we got to do books. Um, And one of her favorite books is called Where's Spot? It's been around a long time, so I don't know if you grew up reading this book. It is a really cute little book, but it is very, very simple, and it is the same every time. And I'd be lying if I said that I always read it with as much enthusiasm as I should, because it gets a little redundant. And spoiler alert, sorry, if you haven't read the book, Spot is in the basket. He's not in the clock, under the stairs, in the box with the penguins. He's in the basket every single time. But Libby, on the other hand, is so enthusiastic about this book. She lifts every little flap, like, 
let's check to see, maybe he's under the rug this time. And then she shakes her head and goes, no, 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 when he's not there. And I've actually had to tape almost all of the flaps back on because she's ripped them off um, every time she looks under them. And she just gets so excited and squeals every time we find spot where he always is in the basket at the end. Um, and I just think seeing the world through Libby's eyes, through the eyes of a child, and experiencing what it's like to love a little person so much has daily either reminded me of something about God or it's taught me about our relationship to him as his children. <clears throat> and our little bedtime routine is no exception to that. It's made me think about how, as humans, I believe we are wired to love stories. And we especially love stories with a good ending. And the Bible itself is a story. It's full of stories. And also, Jesus, when he was here, he sometimes chose to tell stories in order to teach us a lesson. And these stories were called parables. So I think stories tend to stick with us in a unique way. So I think that's why Jesus sometimes chose to tell a message in a story. So tonight, I want to dive into a story that Jesus tells, which is called the parable of the lost son. And it is found in Luke chapter 15. So if you want to follow along, first I'm going to just summarize a little bit, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 tonight. So the story goes, there's a father with two sons, and the younger son comes to him and asks for his share of the estate or his inheritance, which, by the way, is something that would only happen when the father dies. So this is basically like the son coming to his father and saying, I don't care about you. I kind of wish you were dead and I would like your money now. So it's pretty, pretty terrible. So the son takes the money and he sets out for another country and spends every last penny of it on wild living. And then a famine strikes and the son is forced to work in a field feeding pigs. And he is just the opposite of thriving. He is starving, he's in need, he has nowhere to go. So that's where we're going to pick up in verse 17, if you guys want to follow along. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So this story really tugs at my heart. And I think there's so much to unpack. 
Um, But tonight, I just want to first focus on the younger son. So the father describes his son in two ways. He says he's dead, and then he's alive, he's lost, and then he's found. So we see two very different versions of the son in this story. We see him boldly demand from his father and then waste all his money, being wildly selfish and foolish. And this is a son who is dead, who is lost. When he returns, he's starving, in need, and feels unworthy of his father's love. And this is a son who is alive, who's found. Do you notice how contradictory these words seem compared to how the son must have felt inside? Last time I checked, we usually associate starving, being in need, with nowhere to go, and having no money with being lost and feeling dead. And we associate having a bunch of money, wild partying, you know, you've heard these phrases, living your truth, living your best life, finding yourself. We usually associate these things with being alive. So this kind of backward-seeming reality is all throughout the Bible. And over and over again reminds us that when we take what God has given us and we go our own way, we come up empty, come up with nothing. And when we're prideful, we don't think we need God, and we think we know better, that's when we're completely lost. But when we know that God is everything we need, we recognize that we've fallen short, and we come to our Father asking for forgiveness, we're alive and we're found. What's also profound about this son's attitude is that he is completely humble. He doesn't try to explain himself or make excuses, but he also doesn't let his own pride or shame keep him from coming back to his father. Because shame is something that keeps us in the dark, it keeps us in the grave. And I really want to focus in tonight on what exactly takes this son from death to life and from being lost to being found. What happens here is a perfect example of what is called repentance. Now, this is a tough word. And if you grew up going to church, you may have heard this word or have an idea of what it means. Or this might be a completely new concept to you. So if you look up the definition of repentance in the dictionary, it says, sincere regret or remorse. And that definitely is a part of it. As we saw, the son clearly felt sincere regret. And he admitted to himself, he admitted to his father, the mistakes he'd made. He had a well-thought-out apology. But that's not all there is to repentance. So the Hebrew word that this comes from literally means to return to God. So it's not just about feeling bad or admitting your mistakes. There's action. There's action that's required. It looks like putting one foot in front of the other and starting the trek home, just like the sun did. This is where having an illustration is so helpful in wrapping our heads around a concept. The sun so clearly hits rock bottom in this story. He realizes that he's going to die if he stays where he is, and he could have. 
he could have chosen that. He could have decided that it was too embarrassing to come back. I mean, what would everyone think of him? Um, and he even lets himself think about his father's servants and how they have it better than he does. So he takes a chance, and he hopes that his father will even just hire him to work for him. So barefoot and without a coat, hungry, full of shame, this son starts the journey back home. I imagine that as he put one foot in front of the other in the dirt, he practiced his apology to himself. He probably took step after step thinking, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm sure he felt nervous about this conversation with his father, but he was desperate. This was his last hope. And at some point towards the end of his journey, but he's still a long way off, he sees somebody running towards him. Do you think that anywhere in his mind he thought that it could be his father? And if he thought it was, do you think that he thought that he was angry? So what happened in this son's heart when he saw the joy on his father's face and he felt his father wrap his arms around him? As surprised as he must have been by this greeting, the son still kicks off his apology, but as you'll see, the father didn't even need it. It was already done, his son was home, and that's all that mattered to him. So I think Jesus used a story to illustrate this for us so we could have a picture in our minds of what repentance looks like, what it feels like, and how a good father responds. So with that, we are going to talk about the father in this story. So we can gather that the father gives us a picture of who God, our heavenly father, is. So what kind of father is he? There are some things I want to point out about the way that the father responds to the son. First, he gives the son his inheritance and lets him run off with it. So he's a father who will not stop you from running off if that's what you think you want. Then, he doesn't follow the son into the wild parties or clubs or wherever he spent all the money. He's a father who never changes. He's not going to be somebody that he's not. He sees his son coming from a long way off and literally runs to him and throws his arms around him. He's a father that misses you when you're gone. He's watching and waiting every single day, hoping maybe this is the day that he'll see you coming home. And finally, he doesn't even let his son get through the whole apology and then celebrates him extravagantly. He's a father who knows your heart before you even say a word. He's so overjoyed just to have you home. We need to have an accurate view of who God is as our father. There's a quote that I love by A.W. Tozer, and it says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He said this because the way that we see God completely shapes how we relate to him. And in this imperfect world filled with flawed people, 
our perception of what God is like can be completely skewed because God is not like us. Our Heavenly Father is patient, unbelievably compassionate, forgiving, unchanging. And is this what you think of when you think of God? If you resonate at all with the younger son, maybe you feel like you're a long ways away from God. Maybe you feel like there's distance. You've been doing your own thing. Maybe you have a little bit of bitterness in your heart wondering why God hasn't stopped you or why he hasn't come to get you. Maybe you need to hear tonight that you just need to start the journey back. If you don't believe that God will welcome you with open arms, remember this story and think about God waiting for you every day, hoping that you come home. There's a verse in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 that says, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. God is a kind father. He does not hold a grudge against you or have an attitude towards you. We are the ones who have to keep our hearts, our minds, our attitudes towards God in check. It's our choice to be in God's house, to live as his children. You already have a room set up in your father's house. And you have a father who's longing for you to be there, waiting on the front porch every single day, wanting you to be home. And despite any shameful or selfish things you've done, he will receive you with open arms and claim you as his with no hesitation. And then on top of that, he's throwing you a party. So I think this story is supposed to blow our minds a little bit. It points out the jaw-dropping, hard-to-believe kind of compassion and love that God has for us. Maybe it's not your story that you've had any sort of rebellious past, so maybe you don't relate to this younger son so much. But there's another son in the story. He's the older son, and the father also loves him. So we're going to read about him and how the father relates to this son. So we're going to pick up in verse 25. I'm going to read the passage. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So there's a lot to talk about with the older son as well, but we'll keep it short and sweet. So this older son is clearly angry, a little bit jealous, ungrateful. He feels like he deserves something. And even though he never ran off with his inheritance, 
he does have a little bit of a self-righteous and deserving attitude, which is not that much different than the attitude that the younger son had. The father responds to him by going out of the party. I don't know if you noticed, but the son doesn't even come in, and the father goes out to him, which I think is really sweet. just shows how God meets us where we are, especially when we stay near to him. So God reminds us who we are. He says, hey, you're mine, and you're invited to feel with me the love and joy that I feel about the things that delight me. You're invited to get yourself out of the way and be a part of what I'm doing. While many of us can put ourselves in the shoes of one of the sons and relate to them in some way, I think a big takeaway from this story is that we can get in our own way and lose sight of God. We have a bad habit as humans of making ourselves the main character of the story, which quite honestly doesn't leave room for God to be who he truly is. We are a part of his story. It's not the other way around. The father in this story invites both sons in, and in their father's house, they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Instead of making the younger son a servant, the father invites him in to being a son again, no questions asked. And the older son, he reminds him who he is and invites him into caring about what he cares about. In both cases, the father puts them in their place as his children, which sometimes we all need a little bit of an attitude adjustment, a little bit of a reality check. Because we can't make ourselves our own God and then expect things to go well. Because we either end up like the younger son at rock bottom or the older son bitter. But no matter where we find ourselves, I hope that what stands out to you from this story is what a kind, compassionate, and forgiving father that God is. He's the kind of father who longs for you to be with him. He longs for you to come home no matter where you've been. He sees your heart, your intentions, and longs for you to turn back towards home. And the moment he sees you do that, he runs out to meet you. I hope this nudges you to search your heart and take an honest look at yourself and your attitude towards God. If tonight you came here feeling lost or like you've lost sight of God, acknowledge that. If you're feeling up for it, maybe share that with somebody you trust or somebody you came here with tonight, maybe on the way home. And as we reflect, think about whether or not you believe that our Heavenly Father is as kind and compassionate and forgiving as we just heard tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so kind, compassionate, slow to anger, and forgiving towards us as your children. Draw near to us as we draw near to you tonight. Teach us to know you, to need you, to love you. To trust you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. 
Y'all, I'm so happy that you tuned in today. This is such a special message because it's about us and our view towards God, but mostly it's about God and His view towards us. So I just want to encourage you to remember that God has open arms and that He loves you deeply. Hope you have a great week.